Hi there, this is Steve Hackett and you're listening to the podcast. Hello, prog lovers, and welcome to the podcasts. This time with me, your guest host, Rune. Today we're talking to none other than guitarist and progressive rock legend Steve Hackett. We discuss his newly released album Under a Mediterranean Sky, his long career as a musician and as a member of Genesis and other things. So please enjoy. Thank you very much for for uh, agreeing to talk to us because uh, we're uh, very eager to talk to you about your new album. Congratulations on the release of Under a Mediterranean Sky, which has been out for yeah. a little over two weeks now, right? That's right. Yes, yes, yeah. It's um, it's uh, been a surprising hit album. It's been in the British charts and the German charts and. Uh, um, in the classical charts, um, it went to number two in the classical charts in this country. Um, and, you know, I really didn't design this album to be anything other than to do it for the love of music and the idea of being able to travel virtually on a um, on a record, the idea of an invitation to a journey that no one can under- undertake in reality at the moment. So... Um, the idea of visiting the Mediterranean is something that many of us would like to be able to do once we're out of lockdown and everything. So it's a virtual journey, a substitute journey. In other words, a dream substituted for a reality for people at a time when they are most challenged. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that because it mirrors very much a question I had sort of, you know, I I wrote here that it it seems to take you on a journey. It's very romantic and dreamlike. So you can really get get lost in it. And and I was wondering, is this sort of, was this written as a sort of a response to the current situation where most of us are like landlocked a bit? Yes, I think it was. Um, it was my wife who suggested the concept. Um, she knew that I wanted to do uh, uh, an acoustic album, first of all, uh, because I thought this year I could either do a rock album or an acoustic album. And um, I seem to be working on everything concurrently, on lots of different things, different styles. Uh, but she was the one who came up with, with the concept and the title and the idea of expanding an acoustic album so it wasn't just um, influenced by uh, endless siestas or uh, the idea of uh, Baroque music in a, in a modern style. But um, instead of just doing a substitution for that, we expanded it to involve harmonic minors and Middle Eastern influence and instruments from... Um, Further away, shall we say, than, than, than the progressive palette. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw you use the expression "radical romanticism" in an interview when you were talking about the yes. album. Would you say? Would you tell so. us about a little bit about that philosophy, that idea uh, of radical yes, romanticism? I think so. I think it's it's giving into your feelings at a time when most people seem to be giving into technology. Uh, the program outweighs the um, 
the concept most of the time. Uh, people are so keen to to uh, adapt and, uh, and adopt, you know, to the latest uh, rhythm or piece of of of, of, of gear and, and hardware. And and um, when you listen back to albums, you can almost immediately tell when they were made. I find, mm. um, whereas I wanted to do something that ignored time and um, allowed itself to be completely escapist, uh, completely romantic. Um, there's no attempt to be modern on this whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's complete indulgence on one level, and um, it's the kind of album that could have been made, you know, if the technology had been available. It's the sort of thing that anyone could have done since the 1920s onwards, probably. Um so, um, yeah, it's an album that could have been written a hundred years ago. Um, I, I just happen to love romantic music, but then I also enjoy the modern interpretation of, of romantic music, which, at, at least in orchestral terms, seems to find its focus with film music. Yeah. Um, film music, orchestral music, seems to be modern classical music to me, Without the need for the, um, you know, the classical establishment to disappear up its own its own ass, really, with <laughs> and squelches and 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 to produce music that's completely unlistenable, thereby you know leaving everyone but the academics behind. Exactly. Um, yeah. So uh, also, I think that, that you know, with progressive music, um, uh, my my great friend, the keyboard player. Um, uh, uh, that I worked with uh, some years ago w- was was often saying saying to me um, Julian Kolbeck said you know you know the, the more notes the less women and um, showing up to shows and uh, I suspect it was a case of you know the less romance in the music that would be the case so I wanted to produce something that wasn't there's no point doing a pop album there's no point at my age trying to be a pop star it's far too late for that. Um, <laughs> But you can return to the original idea of being, um, I don't want to use the word serious musician, you know, because I'm not serious. I'm always cracking jokes and um, playing the clown, frankly. But I know I have this reputation of being serious. Uh, It's just uh, allowing the music to do what it wants to do. And um, sometimes I think, oh, my God, you know, this could have been written you know, hundreds of years ago, this sort of stuff I'm doing here. But what the hell? It doesn't really matter. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah, I I, 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 to- um, I totally know what you mean. And also, it, I, I have to say, it, it mirrors a lot of my, because I've been listening a lot to the album, and, and I absolutely love it. Yeah. And, and a lot of the music, well, you. like you say, is it, it has a, this very cinematic feel to it. Like, for instance, the memory of myth and the opener, yes. Medina, and also this track, yes. the Dervish and the Jinn, which I love, you know, with its yes. darker, yes. almost like the soundtrack to a movie. Uh, and you have, of course, yes. written scores before. I, I believe you worked on a documentary, Outwitting Hitler, right? Yes. Yeah, so yes. I'm, I'm, on, I, 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 I'm wondering, could you see yourself yes. doing more work for film and TV? Is that something you'd you'd like to revisit? Um, or? Well, I have to say that, that um, it's a bit like being an actor. You know, the actor only gets employed once um, the director or the producer calls him up and says, 
you know, I've got a script for you. And yeah. I've had friends who are actors, and I'm I'm aware that um, very often, you know, for very gifted actors, um, uh, the phone doesn't ring for a very, you know, a, an alarming amount of time. Yeah. Amount of time. So um, I think that um, most of the stuff that I've done, and lots of it has been used for film music, but it's usually a case of filmmakers using stuff that I've done. Yeah, finding something the they, they love and that yeah. resonates yeah, they, with. They, they can find... They can find lots of instrumental bits, you know, with my stuff that that, that might suit the film, you know, about anything from uh, training planes, tiger moths, to um, to a, a fishing program on on TV. So, um, uh, but as a service industry to Hollywood, um, I've been a complete failure because um, you know I wasn't pre- I wasn't prepared to go and hang out in Hollywood in the hope that I might get discovered by Cecil B. DeMille. Exactly, um, yeah. I thought my job was, 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 to, was to keep going and make lots of um, potential films for the ear, really. And if those uh, films for the ear end up on, on the screen in some way, whether it's the small screen or the big screen, then I'm fine with that. And I think probably this album, perhaps more than any other, mm of all the albums I've done is probably the most cinematic and um and probably when I die um it, it, it'll get used you know and then no one will have to pay any royalties to the <laughs> composer so it, it it'll be an undiscovered country you know for for, for either musical archaeologists or um, or or filmmakers who well. are, you know are taking a sort of historical look back and say, well, <laughs> hey, you know, yes, I could use Rachmaninoff, but then again, you know, um, you I know, could maybe use that's been done yeah. and yeah, they can use they can use me. So yeah. um, I'm I'm quite happy uh, for that to happen because I'm making a living doing exactly what I want to do. I mean, yeah. I've been very lucky. I've been very lucky. I joined a great band. I formed several bands that I think were were great and um I've currently got a record company who are broad minded enough to say whether you do a rock album or an acoustic album, we'll take it. And I yeah. and I think this has surprised them. The I don't think they expected that this album was going to do quite as well as as it has. Uh um you know it's it's an album that cannot be toured um, it's an album that um, I can't do a current tour. I can't do a, a signing sessions yeah. for it. Um, I can do stuff at home. I mean, this is what I do, of course. You know, I can sign copies at home and, and all that. But the usual sort of round of of doing what uh, musicians do, which is to show up at your local shop or, or local theatre and uh, do all of that. That's all beyond us at the moment. So um, exactly, especially I'm now. Exa- yeah, exactly what I'm moved to do. Yeah. So, so I, I was thinking, you know, you said this is this album is is impossible to tour, or but because this would be something that I I could imagine, you know, if you were to put it up on the stage, it will be would be something for like a, a select number of shows or something sometime in the future where you can work with an orchestra or something to put this to give this music the you know the sound and the scope it deserves. Yes, I think that. Uh... Um, most of the shows I do these days uh, are rock shows, um, but I have worked with an acoustic trio 
and sometimes we sound a little bit like a chamber orchestra. Yeah. Sometimes that becomes a four-piece or a five-piece. It's very, very flexible. And sometimes I've just gone out with an acoustic guitar on my own. But I, I find that um, although you can do very good business with that, I mean, it's a case of playing smaller places. Yeah. And um, uh, I... Basically, once I started doing shows that that were um, half Genesis material and half solo stuff, I I thought, you know, I've, I've I've established the credentials here, and why not go back to the idea of, you know, the early stuff that I did with the early band when I was very young, and um, and play it with virtuoso musicians who play the balls off the stuff um, and turning consistently um, let's put it this way um, consistent performances of you know managing to play the stuff brilliantly um, and, and with a power and, and a certain and a kind of certainty that I wish we'd had in the very early days it wasn't always possible to do that you know when when the original band were doing this, um, the originators, let's put it this way, um, they've really abandoned this stuff. Yeah. uh, We started off with a a band that was a a kind of a musical think tank, Mm. really. Um, Cutting edge, not always dealing with certainties, surviving different lead singers, moving on, different incarnations of the same band called Genesis. But um, all of that, all of those early experiments that that, that led to, a, to, to a, this kind of inclusive genre that we now call uh, a progressive, um, all of that seems to have been leading up to Genesis becoming a very successful pop group. Exactly, and, yeah. Um, and... and um, I think that it was something else that inspired musicians. It was something else that inspired classical musicians, jazz musicians, and those who would become um, inspired by, by progressive music. Mm-hmm. It's the early albums, I think, that, that turned them on to that. So, um, you know, perhaps we were cast a little bit in the mold of the Beatles in the early days. Um uh, but unfortunately, without the ability of the band to be able to expand and take on board orchestras and, and, and all the rest, which which is something that obviously the Beatles were able to do. Yeah. The, the Beatles became more more interesting once they um, started to work with um, world music and other musicians and not always um, backing themselves with their own instruments. Mm. Um taking chances and becoming uh, extremely experimental. So um, it seems to have been, you know, the blueprint for much of progressive that was to follow and, and world music that was, um, you know, not really to, to to get a grip until 20 years after that the Beatles had, had folded. Um, so, um, yeah, I guess it's... Um, it's been a long journey. I've been very, very lucky. I've been able to follow my my own my own path and tread, you know, the road less travelled and all of that. Yeah. And you know, to work with percussionists in South America, to work with orchestras all over the world, and um, 
sometimes live, sometimes uh, sometimes with the Genesis stuff, sometimes you know purely with the progressive stuff. But um, I didn't expect you know my my stuff at this at the, at the stage I am in the game uh, to be making quite such an indentation on on the charts. Yeah. Um, my record company were thrilled with the fact that they happened to be a German record company, and they said it's number fourteen in in the in the um, in the in in the charts. I can imagine that uh, in yeah. Germany, in Germany, you know, and that's the national charts. So um, it's it's funny, you know. I managed to bypass many of the existing channels. Like for exactly, instance, we yeah. have. A, cl- a classical music channel over here on the radio called Classic FM, mm-hmm. and um, they they refused to play this album. Uh, they've played other albums of mine, but for some reason they refused to play this. Mm. But it went to number two in the classical charts in this in this <laughs> country. So um, I seem to have bypassed all the um, existing channels. Yeah, like the talk uh, points. The uh, yeah. And and getting yeah, out to the yeah, get, right. getting out to people through other channels. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so I've I've, I've not I've, I haven't needed to edit myself. Exactly. Um, there's been something that goes on between myself and my wife and um, and Roger King, who's involved in the album in a big 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 way. Yeah, I wanted to um, ask about that so because, the, of course, the, the he is. Write it. Yeah. yeah. Because King, of yeah. course, was was yeah. very much involved with the orchestral part of the album, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. Those those orchestral textures. That's all. Um, you know, I, I have a rough idea of it, and I come up with um, uh, chords and top lines. So you know, um, skeleton of skeleton scores for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, we we go at this. If we can use real, we were going to use real musicians for most of it, this kind of thing. But we found that it was too, it wasn't going to be workable. So we worked with a small team. Um, sometimes it was acoustic modelling. Sometimes it was samples. Sometimes it was the man. Sometimes the machine. Sometimes the woman. All of those things. Just keep it all all open and all flexible. And but it's a beautiful sounding record. I think you know for all the attempts at doing something in a classical style that I've I've tried before. I, I find this one the most fresh. And I think the fact that it was done in the space of oh the recording took about two 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 months. Um but I think considering the ambitious nature of the um of the arrangements, uh, I think I think we moved quite fast. Um, you know, a rock album takes Usually it takes me about a year to get a rock album together if I wanted, you know, if I wanted to have orchestral stuff and musicians from all over the world. It exactly. It does take a while. Well, uh, uh, you you were mentioning, of course, the the the, the Genesis revisited, and uh, I, I wanted just to say, you know, we we at the prog space here we have our awards for 2020, and I wanted to congratulate you because you're one of the nominees, of course, for best guitarist, but also for the best live album with uh, Selling England by the Pound and Spectral Mornings live at Hammersmith. Oh, yeah, and you released you. you released the first Genesis revisited in '96, I believe. And uh, and I do think you did some ago, no? yeah you did some shows there right because I think I read somewhere that you did some shows in Japan for that album, but 
but it didn't really blow up this this Genesis revisit did until the second album in 2012. Am I yeah. right to say that? Uh, yes, absolutely right. Yes, um, um, I think that um, it was more difficult to mount shows at that time. Um, we did the, a live version of Revisited mm-hmm. um, in in Japan. Uh, and there's an album from it called The Tokyo Tapes. It's yep. also a DVD, which features the late, great um, John Wetton. Yes, of course, yeah. And um, Ian MacDonald, who I knew since the early days of King Crimson, that we became pals, and uh, Chester Thompson, who I'd worked with. With, with Genesis, uh, yeah. With Genesis. Yeah. Uh, and um, Julian Colbeck had done many things with him. Um, it was... You know, very interesting to have that that band together, mm. and um, um, it, it it was wonderful. But the time wasn't right to be able to take that that team on on the road. Exactly. You know, people had other concerns and pressures and and uh, and opportunities and commitments. Um, so I ended up leaving it a very long time. Um, I also think that um, because Genesis had been um, an abandoned place mm. for so long. Um, the band that carried on the name ceased functioning after the 1990s, basically, and didn't yeah. really reconvene until whatever it was, 2005, 2006. Um, and um, it's a very long time for any band to leave it. Um, and I felt that there was so much that was worth preserving from that time. Um, in fact, in 1973, when we did Selling England by the Pound, um, John Lennon gave an interview in New York and said that Genesis was one of the bands that he was currently listening to. Um, so something must have caught his attention. And um, uh, so for me, having been a Beatles fan, and I know that all the other guys in in, in Genesis were Beatles fans, of course, um, you know, that was a very big deal for us. So I don't see why those songs should have been in an abandoned place. So I decided I was going to celebrate that. So you take it right up to the present day, even though, you know, we've been booking tours and shows and um, um, I'm supposed to be touring at the same time when Genesis are are touring. A year ago, I was supposed to be doing this, and then Genesis booked their shows at exactly the same time and in the same place. And it looked like I was going to be playing in America in April, and then they were going to be playing the UK in April, but obviously there's a question mark against that because of the pandemic. Of course, now yeah. they've shifted their show to coincide with mine, which has been on on sale um, for the autumn of this year. Yeah. Um, so w- once again, my stuff was already on sale, um, and um, so they will be playing at, at the same time in the same in the same country. You know, uh, it'll be. But with, yeah, a, but, but, but with quite a different 
focus, uh, I, I would say, because of course you, so. yeah, so I'll, you, you yeah. are focusing on, on the period you were in the band and of course what a lot yeah. of people refer to as like the, the golden age of the, the progressive yeah. band Genesis. So, so I'm just wondering when you released Genesis Revisited yeah. 2 in 2012, that yeah. seemed to, to generate an immense interest from fans who wanted to, to hear these old uh, yeah. these old albums uh, performed yeah. uh, were, were, were it uh, surprising to you or, or like that beginning yeah yes. yeah i mean I, it's funny maybe my instinct has sharpened over time but um i was surprised that, that i got a gold album for this yeah um um you know for songs that were recorded you know, so long ago, you know, we're talking about 50 years ago. Um, and, um, yes, I mean, it's 50 years ago that I joined Genesis um, and started playing with them. Um, but there obviously is an audience that is still hungry for that because it works very well live. This kind of music works very well live. Um, and I also think that, that many... Um, supporters of early Genesis in the 1970s felt that with the change of the band ethos that they were perhaps disenfranchised mm. um, the people that voted for Genesis in the early days as a band that that, that was challenging musically exactly, and experimental yeah. and yeah. motivated musicians and music lovers um, that isn't what what they got later on. That what they got later on was um, something which was a more slick uh, pop machine. Yeah, more commercial, and, um, commercially focused uh, band. Sure, and yeah. I'm I'm not criticizing this. Okay, I'm saying that you know that the the, produ the production got more slick mm. and uh, and more more precise, and I think the production values got 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 better of course, with time and experience and technology, but the quality of ideas, I think, is something that was unassailable in the 1970s when we were um, uh, a five-piece with uh, Peter Gabriel and um, he's largely responsible for Genesis' success. Um, and also, I think, you know, my predecessor, because I'm anxious to... Um, you know, let's put it this way, share this. You know, um, my predecessor in Genesis was um, Anthony Phillips, who yeah. was the driving force of that band in, in the early in the, the early days. The first album, yeah. That. And, and, yeah, and, and first album and second album, and, and was um, the, the, um, the main songwriter. So um, I'm, I'm friends with him, and, you know, we've worked together on, on a few things, and uh, he's a very nice guy, very, very bright, very, very quick. Um, and um, yeah, I, I remember um, I, I read your autobiography uh, a while ago, yeah. and 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 I believe there were, were pictures uh, of you with Anthony from your, yeah. a wedding or something, right? So that's right. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, yeah. He's become a very, very close friend, and um, he, I think, he's a great conceptual thinker, and. Um, Again, you know, he's someone who spearheaded Genesis. Exactly. Um, yeah. So um, uh, Genesis is is not one person. Um, I know that 
um, you know, uh, more recent fans tend to think that Genesis is all about um, Phil Collins, but um, I guess it's Genesis in the broadest sense. Exactly. Well, something well, that's involved I... about you know, twenty different people. <laughs> so, exactly. Anyone... I guess if you came became aware of the band during like the eighties and nineties, it would be yeah. quite quite uh, you know easy to think that that Phil was sort of the the was the band in the way, right? But but if you go back and look yeah. at the origins of the band, you you like you say, you can see that there are that there are uh, you know the 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 full uh, member ro- ro- roster of the band or whatever. It it never would have been what it became if it wasn't for that input from all these amazing musicians. Yeah, that's right. Yes, it's it's um. It's interesting all of that, isn't it? Um, that uh, everyone played their part, and um, it, it's a very competitive team. Um, yeah, that's the and, impression um, I got. That this was, uh, especially during these these uh, albums where where you were a big part of the band, that you guys were really competing to be to put the best material into the band, right? Uh, yes, that's right, and um, um, I think that you know having a band full of songwriters um, isn't isn't always the easiest um, uh, way to rehearse. Um, I think that you know to to create any any um, really long lasting song, something of any value. Um, you really need everyone's cooperation all the time yeah. to be able to do this because the devil is in the detail, of course, and um, uh, a song is only as good as everyone allows it to be. Um, so, um, yeah, you know, it's it was... I, I joined this songwriters club, you know, that was already established with two albums. And yeah. um, so it's it's a bit like... You know, you're joining your ideas with everything, with everyone else. But there's a kind of pecking order, a little bit like, yeah. you know, some some are, are um, uh, either more experienced or, um, or or have the you know the power of veto. Yeah. So um, um, it's it's not always easy joining someone else's band. Uh, the, the ideal thing is if you can form a band yourself and. Um, um, but you know, you know how 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 groups are. Um, I don't think that Bach would have worked in a group. I don't think Tchaikovsky would have worked <laughs> no, in, a, exactly. in a group. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, uh, for all sorts of reasons. Um, uh, yes, without without all that attention to detail, which is what marks composers whose whose work has survived long after their death. Um, mm. The the work lives on. It, it's it's unassailable. It it sells every 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 year. Tchaikovsky sells out the ballet in exactly. in London. Certainly, yeah. you know the Nutcracker goes on and on and on. Um, and um, it's still a winning ticket. And it it can only be the the power of the ideas that that does that. So Tchaikovsky is the ballet, you know, as Puccini is the opera. Mm. Um, Somehow, those monopolies were were set up uh, very very early on. 
I, I wanted to. You mentioned something about the competitiveness of the band, and you know how mm. how challenging it can be when you are so many songwriters and talented songwriters in the band. And and I, I was thinking about um, your first solo album, Voyage of the Acolyte, that's 1975. Yeah. And and yes. of course you have a. a very long string of, of very good solo albums. I, I think I counted 26 albums if we include the, your classical albums and Blues with a Feeling. Uh, so I, I was saying, I, I believe I read that some of the stuff on, on Voyage Voyage of the Acolyte, like uh, the fantastic shadow of the Hierophant, was sort of meant for Genesis, or at least like uh, uh, shown to the rest of the band as a, yeah, an yeah, idea for something yeah. you could have done, right? Yes, that's right, yes. Um, it was a Genesis reject. Um, yeah, the idea first appeared in 1972, and um, um, it looked like Genesis were never going to use that. Mm. Um, you know, three years on a back burner is a, is a very long time for something to sit around. Um, and really, yes, really, it's the outstanding track on that on that album. Um, and I think um, after I did it, um, Tony Banks said we could have used that for Genesis. <laughs> and well, yeah, well, you're I thought, well, it could be it could be a very it could be a long wait if that was the case. Yeah. So um, you know, you, I think um, there, there you ended up uh, playing on on your first album with Sally Oldfield, right? On, on Shadow of the yeah. Hierophant, and also your yeah. that's the first time you had your brother involved, John. Uh, yes. And yes. so, yeah. I, personally, I think maybe it turned out for the better because the album is absolutely fantastic. Maybe, maybe you're <laughs> one of my favorite uh, of your your solo albums. Yes, I, well, at the time when I did it, I, I was very inexperienced as a. Um, as a producer, um, and um, that stuff was some of it was recorded, you know, at three in the morning um, with a team that were learning it on the spot. So um, it was recorded in very difficult circumstances. But you know, I, I, I was very young, and so was the team, yeah. and so we, we weren't getting much sleep putting that stuff together. Um, but um, I fell in love with um, the process of being being a band leader yeah. at that time. Um, and John and I, it was my brother's debut professionally as well, and he sounded so stunning on it. Um, it was really what convinced him to switch from studying at university uh, languages because he was already at Cambridge studying languages, and he decided to switch to music. Yeah, uh, I think he made made the right choice. But then um, it was something that uh, yes, he was already, you know, a, a, a stunning player at, at that at that point, and um, he, he went on, you know, uh, taking music lessons and and, and everything. Um, whereas, of course, I just. Um, felt that uh, to be instinctive was the best thing and um 
I, th- I think it's been the best thing for me. So I always aspired towards um, doing things that, that other musicians who were schooled could do much better than me. You know, they they were able to read music and score for orchestras and all this kind of stuff. But I thought, if I do this, it's going to dampen my enthusiasm. I, I'll end up doing something I'll be following someone else's path and um, I thought the way to be an all-rounder was to um, ignore all of that to not be part of the academy and to be criticized and um, yeah but I didn't didn't want to go back to school I also wonder I also wonder because of course you are an you are a immensely skilled guitarist and I wonder if you had gone that route, if we, if you, we would have had some of that, like pioneering, like the tapping technique that you used on some of the early Genesis albums. Is that? Yes. Did that come about from your own experimentation, right? Not, not being part of a, a, a class or something. Yes, um, that that at the time was my idea. Um, uh, whether I'm the inventor of it or whether it's other people, I don't know. Um, you know, uh, many people say they were doing it but not recording it. Um, uh, I was certainly doing it with an electric guitar. I haven't found anyone else who was doing it. No, neither, then, neither, neither yeah, have, yeah. I, have I. Yeah. <laughs> I've never. I've, yeah, that's yeah, the I early, earliest I can find uh, of, on an album yeah. of someone using these techniques, really. Yeah. It, well, it was a way of playing. Uh, very very fast on one string basically, um, and then you could change strings without um, using a, a plectrum. Um, so it's a little bit closer to the to the keyboard. Fretboard and keyboard come together with tapping, um, and um, that's right. I mean, at that time there wasn't a school for tapping. No. Um, I'm quite sure now. If you um, uh, there's an American rock school, isn't it? MIT. Um, yeah. I'm sure they teach that. I'm sure. I'm sure it's on the curriculum. It's on the curriculum now, but not not then. No. And so, exactly. Um, you, I think you pay a, a certain price for making your own mistakes, um, inventing your own techniques. Um, if if it's fear that holds you back from going the the traditional route, then um, you won't be alone. Um, I, as I say, I didn't. For me, uh, learning guitar was an alternative to to being taught things at school. Where um, I, I was tired of what tended to happen at school, where even if you did something perfectly, um, you wouldn't necessarily. Um, um, get great marks for it. Mm. I, I learned this very early on, you know, when when they had a, at my primary school when we were very young, learning to do italic writing, and uh, <laughs> we spent all afternoon every year Practicing. learning to do this. And and I had the handwriting of a calligrapher at that time. You know, I wish I I had to employ people to write as well as I could have when I was ten years old, mm. but. Um, um, but I, I never got a prize for it. 
you know, at the end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, and, yeah. and without that encouragement, you know, even calligraphers, you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like, um, okay. You well, need that, to have I, I some. That, yeah. 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 You know. So. Um, uh, well, well, I just felt that the world, the world of academia, was like that, and uh, I, I. So I was always suspicious of school and everything that that went with it, and. Um, I, I left school very early when I was 16 years old. Uh, in those days, you could leave school when you were 15 yeah. uh, in England. And now you can't leave school until you're 18. And, of course, a lot of kids, you know, really yeah. are not suited to school. So uh, what's the point of being shouted at when you're an 18-year-old when you just think, oh, fuck off, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. It's just, you know... I, I think it's a bad idea for, for kids to be stuck at school that long. Um, uh, get out there, get a job, get the hell out, you know, that was the thing. So I, I had a number of jobs when I left school, uh, you know, five years of jobs until I, I joined Genesis. Um, uh, lots of advertising in the back pages of a famous musical paper that no longer exists. <laughs> So no one, no one can go that route yeah, anymore. Yeah, I, I read about um, that. Uh, trying to yeah. find like-minded musicians, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like-minded musicians and appealing to um, the idealists, perhaps. Yeah. Um, which you could do at, at that time. I'm not sure that's really possible now. Um, you know, I mean, if I'd have been born. Uh, a few years later, perhaps I would have been happy to join a, a punk band. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. And, there, and then no one will be taking me seriously when I say, you know, I've written a symphony. <laughs> ah, you know, yeah, sure, sure, forget it. You know, so, um, but but uh, sort of moving moving up to current day again a bit, because uh, I, I yeah. think I read somewhere that, that your next tour will be, or... or you had a plan at least to to focus on seconds out is, is that right yes yeah so is that something seconds that you're and, that you're and, still preparing and, and, and solo stuff as well yeah, yeah. I, I'll, I'll do that but also um uh, solo stuff as well so i'll do two sets you know of of of, of, of each so yeah. um, uh, that's the plan anyway at the moment uh, nobody really knows com com with complete certainty uh, because of we're still in the, the midst pandemic, of, yeah. of, of a pandemic yeah. and a slow rollout of vaccines and um, I hope to be doing shows this year that's all I can say is I hope to be doing shows this year and yeah. of course we got the tragedy of Brexit which um, um, is yeah. something that uh, that was that um, was actually also something I, I I wanted to ask you about because yeah. I recently yeah. read the nothing to do with me yeah. I was <laughs> firmly against Brexit I think it's a terrible idea yeah. and, and everyone's finding out that um, yeah, yeah so, um, I read a, a very informative post by Fish you know of, of previously of Marillion, which which yes. career sort of mirrors your in a way, you know, being part of a successful band for some of their, their most, you know, golden uh, era and then striking into his solo yep. career. And he wrote a very interesting yep. article on, on UK yep. musicians and what you must face now in regards to Brexit. So yes. so I'm, I'm guessing yes. it, it is a challenge, this, this uh, situation for you. Yes. 
It's a, it, yeah, we have two challenges. We have the challenge of of the pandemic, and the um, and the and the problem of Brexit. And um, I mean, I understand that Europe is very angry with with Britain, and um, um, I gather that you know it. We, it won't. It won't be surprising if they try and make it as difficult as possible for British musicians to uh, uh, to tour in Europe. And um, uh, I hope that that some reciprocal situation is arrived at. But uh, at yeah. the moment, the British uh, politicians are unwilling to do this, um, and um, and so they're basically. You know, fucking it up for for the rest of us and for every young band that wants to get out there and tour internationally. That, that seems very yeah. killing music, killing music stone dead. And so, um, you've got to be very successful indeed to be able to survive um, all of the inherent problems of separate visas and withholding tax and all of all of the bullshit that goes with this. Um, I've been investing in Europe for fifty years as a yeah. touring musician. I think I have something that uh, that would be would be good for me to to end on on a more on, on a more positive note because of course sure. like you talked about unlike some of the other Genesis members they moved in directions with pop music or like Gabriel yeah. world music you seem to be very happy yeah. to be a part of this progressive music scene like for instance you played yeah. festivals like the Prog My Friend in Barcelona where you went on stage yep. with a lot of young progressive musicians. I was just sure. wondering, how do you view uh, progressive music's place today versus when you started out in the 70s? And what's your thoughts on the current state of progressive music? Um, well, funny enough, I'm just doing some sleeve notes um, for Jonas Reingold uh, with Car Mechanic. Oh, um, and, uh, fantastic band. And I'm finding it... Yes, I find it very interesting that um, um, the, the second wave of progressive stuff, I think it's a given. It's a bit like classical music. It's a given that you work with virtuoso musicians because that's the only thing that really works with with progressive stuff. So you have to have guys who are conversant with different styles of music. Um, I think that progressive is the most inclusive form. Uh, it's music without prejudice. Mm. Um, other than that, um, the best of it um, is something that that's with us, whether you, whether you like it or not. It yeah. is a genre that has survived. It nearly died a death at one point in the 1980s. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but um, as a revived form. Um, that includes every other form, um, it is what you make it. Mm. Um, bands like Elbow and um, uh, uh, Muse and, uh, and, and, and Soul Mechanic. And a whole lot of, you know, uh, metal musicians also being very inspired yes. by you <laughs> originators yes. from the 70s, right? Well, th there's no reason why heavy metal shouldn't be um, involved with progressive, um, you know, progressive metal. Um, it doesn't really, uh, there, if there's no prejudice, then there's no need to conform to anyone or subscribe to any one club. Um, 
um, it's a bit like dance music. You know, dance music. So many musicians trying to do dance music, but it's yeah. an oversubscribed club. It's there are so many people competing in that area. Um, I think it's better to work in a in a in a smaller area, and um, and try and be the best in that in that area, um, and allow yourself to experiment, allow yourself to fail, um, um, but. To, to be true to your ideals is really where I came came on board. Um, I don't mind any any kind of music as long as it's really really good. Yeah. Um, that's that's the whole point. So um, you can work in any any area. I think that's a fantastic way to end it. <laughs> uh, so thank you thank so you. much, uh, uh, Steve, for ta talking to us and uh, all the thank best. Thank you so much. The Progcast is a production of Stuus Media and is presented by the Prague Space. It is produced by Randy M. Salo, Janine Stengel-Lewis, Blake Lewis, and Dario Albrecht. Our theme music is by This Is Not An Elephant, and Van Kirsch does our graphics. New episodes of the Progcast drop every Monday and Thursday. And don't miss our Friday Top 5 episode where we discuss our favorite new releases from that week. For more interviews and reviews in the written form, check out theprogspace.com.